In 2008, the United States of America had the world's highest rate of incarceration, imprisoning one in every 198 Americans. Around the same time, a record high of about 2.3 million Americans were in the U.S. prison system. Imprisonment rates skyrocketed from about 1980 well into the 2000s, and one major contributing factor was the so-called War on Drugs. The War on Drugs was a global campaign intended to reduce the drug trade in the United States, and it spanned military, policing, and foreign policy initiatives across almost every continent. After 50 years and counting, some estimate that the total cost of the war on drugs comes to over $1 trillion. While incarceration rates have been on the decline over recent years, the U.S. today still imprisons a larger share of its population today than any other country on Earth. The war on drugs is still largely to blame. At that peak rate of incarceration in 2008, the Washington Post reported that of the 1.5 million Americans who were arrested every year for drug offenses, half a million would go on to be incarcerated. Our guest today, Kaz Marte, was among them. From the New Story Company, this is The New Story Is, a conversation and interview-based podcast that explores the stories, perceptions, and ideas that have come to shape the world today as we know it. Along the way, we speak to talented guests who are championing the new stories that may shape our collective future for the good. I'm Dave Ursillo. Kaz Marte is the founder of Conbody, a prison-style fitness bootcamp and startup that is on a mission to destigmatize the formerly incarcerated community, ease their integration back into society, and change the systemic inequity of the criminal justice system. Conbody has delivered fitness boot camps to tens of thousands of students worldwide and has worked with over 100 formerly incarcerated professionals with a 0% recidivism rate. Last week, on July 27, 2022, Cos provided testimony to the United States Senate Committee on Small Business as the U.S. Congress explored opportunities and barriers to entrepreneurship for the formerly incarcerated. Here's his testimony. You invited me to share my, my journey as a small business owner with a criminal record. I'm born and raised in the Lower East Side of New York City, where as a child, there were limited opportunities to succeed legally. Individuals that I saw succeed were usually the drug dealers that stood on the corner and wore big chains and rode luxury vehicles. As a kid, school teachers would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would tell them I wanted to be rich. I wanted to be rich so badly because my mom immigrated from the Dominican Republic with limited resources and six months pregnant with me. I grew up in a heavily drug infested neighborhood at the time, and I hated the fact that my mom denied me things because she had no money. This led me to the streets at a very early age where I began selling drugs and eventually created a multi-million dollar drug empire. And by the age of 19, I was making over $2 million a year. But this all ended as I was arrested by the DEA and ended up being sentenced to seven years in prison. As I entered the prison system, I developed a workout routine that saved my life. I lost over 70 pounds in just six months after doctors told me I could die in prison from a heart attack because of my cholesterol levels. I then helped over 20 inmates lose over a thousand pounds combined. And this led me to develop a business plan while sitting in solitary confinement and, I, and the idea launched 
as Combody, a prison-style boot camp that hires formerly incarcerated individuals to teach fitness classes. Today, we've trained over 70,000 people worldwide. As I came home from my prison sentence, I was released with $40, a bus ticket, and this net bag with my business plan. However, I was faced with many barriers such as insurance, real estate, capital, policy regulations against higher employees who have been formerly incarcerated. Even finding a job was difficult as I was denied over 100 times because of my past. And thanks to programs like the Five Ventures who believe that formerly incarcerated individuals have the entrepreneurial skills to start their own businesses, I was able to navigate the resources of running a a small business. However, even with the help of Defy, I was rejected business insurance insurance multiple times. I was even quoted absurd rates of $30,000 a month to launch my small business because of my criminal record. Then capital came into play as banks had those questions in those applications. Have you ever been convicted of a criminal record? I literally sold my collections of over 300 pairs of Jordan sneakers to use as startup capital to start my business. In addition, real estate locations rejected me because of the same factors. It took me three years of showing up every single day, twice a day, through rain, sleet, snow, to train my clients in a public park. It was truly not an easy task, but I was fortunate enough to catch the ear of a landlord who owned a Buddhist temple who let me rent her basement to operate my small business. Where we were able to create a safe space for myself and my employees who all have been incarcerated in the system. We truly thought it was going to be a safe haven for my employees who who have gone through so many biases in the workforce due to their past criminal record. But we were faced with fraternizing, a rule that stated in parole and probation where formerly incarcerated individuals are not allowed to be in the same space at any given time. Our goal was to create a space where where our employees had each other's back and made sure that we would never go back into the system, which has worked so far. However, fraternizing has blocked us from employing some formerly incarcerated individuals due to their parole and probation officers denying them from working with us. For example, we had one individual who was about to be violated on parole and sentenced to two years in prison for working with us. But thankfully enough, we were able to create a petition with our community and clients and employees to prevent him from going back inside. We also brought this issue to the regional supervisors in the parole system to stop one of our employees from being reincarcerated because he was working with us. Our efforts worked and we were able to get them out of the situation. But today there's so many individuals that come out of the system that face this issue, but don't have a community to support them through these barriers. I've been a strong advocate for criminal justice reform for the last plus nine years. And I'm a true believer that given the tools that we need, we can show that we can not only bring recidivism rates down, but demonstrate that we can really tap untapped talents to be on the entrepreneurial space. And according to Harvard Political Review, currently our national recidivism is 76%. But if we employ our returning citizens and give them a second chance, it drops down automatically to 31%. And the proudest stat that I'm proudest of at Combody is that we have a zero recidivism rate. No one has gone back into the prison system. I believe what New York State is doing on the cannabis space is a great example of innovation in the business world. 
by giving first licenses to people that have been just as impacted by the war on drugs in the cannabis space. I believe this is a great example that we could follow that not only could help our communities, but our economy as well. For example, I've recently launched a company called Combud, a potential dispensary in New York State, where we'll be hiring formerly incarcerated individuals to work with us, and we'll give back portions of the proceeds to community members that have been affected by the war on drugs. I'd like to end this by leaving you with these questions. What if you were judged for the worst thing you've ever done for the rest of your life? Or what if you were known for taking those negative situations and turning them into a legacy that can impact our future? What would you want to choose? Thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to your questions and answers. That was Kaz Marte speaking in front of the U.S. Senate Committee on Small Business at the U.S. Congress on July 27th, 2022. Kaz is an entrepreneur, he's a prison reform activist, and he's the founder of Body. He's also the author of a book by the same name. This interview was originally recorded in May 2020. Kaz, welcome to The New Story Is. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Dave. So our listeners by now understand some of the circumstances of what was going on in your life, uh, that you were arrested by the DEA and eventually uh, convicted on drug trafficking charges and sentenced to seven years uh, time in the New York State prison system. But what was going on in your health at this time? What was going on in contributing to your eventual health issues that you would discover when you were imprisoned? Yeah, I mean, I was I was out in the streets and uh, and living the lifestyle of like dealing and then smoking, drinking uh, a lot, um, eating whatever I wanted, you know. So I was never checking up uh, myself in the in the doctor, you know. I was not, um, you know, I was I was just living day to day um, and living the street life, and and that's what happens where you don't expect it and. Um, I didn't even notice I gained all that weight until I got in and I jumped on a scale when I was incarcerated and I was like, what the hell? And when they told me my cholesterol levels were in, in danger of car- catching a heart attack within five years and I was being sentenced to seven years in prison, I was like, I, I can't die in this place. Like I'm, I'm only 24 years old, you know, and it, it woke me up. It woke me up um, to start moving and, and it surprised me and, and it was hard. It was it was not easy um, because you you're already in an isolated place, and then now you feel like you know you you know, I don't know you could you could get hopeless sometimes you know yeah and so facing your own mortality all of a sudden you were given a seven year prison sentence but doctors in the prison told you that you could die within five years, you were really looking at your own mortality, right? And so you started moving, as you say, and, and that's what the, the Con Body Fitness Program has become, which you you teach now online, um, and you've written about in your book. How did the idea to write a book come about? Did you leave prison wanting to write a book? Yeah, no, it was... Uh, <laughs> uh, so I have a co-writer, called, uh, his name is Brandon... Um, Brandon Sneed, he, he basically wrote a 7,000 word, um, uh, piece on, uh, what was it on SB nation? Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I've written my story out. So while I was incarcerated, I was in solitary confinement. I wrote out my story. I wrote out like this whole workout routine I have in a book. So I basically wrote my book in, in, in solitary confinement. Oh, wow. 
Um, but I didn't think about it. You know, I was not going to, I just did it because I wanted to like formulate a workout plan for myself. And I wanted to teach these classes when I came home. Uh, I didn't think I was going to come out with a book, uh, after that. And then, uh, how did Brandon, sorry, General, how did Brandon write the article on you? Did he shadow you? Did he, did he interview you firsthand? He reached out and, and he was like, lucky, I want to write up this piece on you. I want to fly out to New York and just follow you out. And this was like, I think, uh, this is 20, 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was probably about a year and a half out of prison, uh, or 2015. And, um, and yeah, I was, I was basically, uh, you know, trying to get all the media I can to promote Combody at the time. And he started following me around. And at that time I was like, I didn't have an actual studio space. So I was renting out these like small little ballet studio spaces. Uh, he came, took a workout. Uh, he followed me around the hood. He, uh, you know, he met like, you know, old, uh, sorry to say this, but like old crackheads, old drug dealers around the neighborhood. Cause I still live like right around the block. So mm. he basically like stood with me all day for about a week, mm. um, and just studied me and, and then just got a lot of testimonial from people around the neighborhood, uh, you know, telling my story on their perspective. Uh, Brandon, after he wrote this huge piece, uh, he hits me up. He's like, what do you want to turn your, your story into a book? And I was like, hell yeah. You know, <laughs> and uh, um, and he was like, you know, I think we could do a, a good workout book. You know, I think they, they do pretty well. Um, so he connected me with his agent. His agent uh, brokered a deal with St. Martin's um, publishing company. And, uh, and from there, we just made it happen. Yeah, and you've gone on to to be featured in over 200 major media outlets such as NBC, CNN, The New York Times, TED, uh, TED Talks, Men's Fitness. Uh, you've also won some major pitch competitions, including the Tom's Shoes Pitch for Good, the YPO Shark Tank competition. Uh, altogether, that's a combined quarter million dollars that you were able to raise for your social enterprise. You know, because you've gotten so much positive media attention. I love that you have, and you've been able to turn your personal story of hardship um, into the social mission. It's it's really inspiring. It's really motivating. I can see why so many people want to get involved with it, right? Um, but I'm curious for the, from your personal perspective, have you found it challenging to relive the story of your incarceration, even just when you were co-writing the book with Brandon? Was it was it challenging to go back and kind of like open these old wounds? It hit me in terms of bringing back those bad memories, but also good memories, um, because not everything in prison was was bad. In terms of like the camaraderie that I had working out with the other inmates, um, you know, the camaraderie I had with people that I, I dealt with in the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was you know there there was some fun fun times you know so. I, I wouldn't say uh, everything was horrible and, and I felt, you know, like sad the whole time. I, I, I think there was there was times where I'm like, you know, reading certain parts and I'm like, damn, that was a messed up situation. And then there were certain times where I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that day, you know, we were joking around, running around in the yard, you know. Mm. You talk about feeling addicted to money. This is something that you realized when you were 
imprisoned and and that this feeling of addiction to money to making money felt like it was a major driver of like the force behind your desire to hustle on the street before you got busted by the DEA. And in your book, you write about when you were in solitary confinement, you had this awareness about your own addiction. And this is a quote. You say, quote, I was hurting people for no other reason than making money. I was an addict too. I wasn't addicted to crack or some other drug. My vice was money, unquote. So today, Kaz, do you feel like your addiction is gone? Do you feel like it's under wraps? Do you feel like it's under control? Um, or, or do you feel like you're, you found a way to channel not like a chemical addiction, but you found a way to channel this this drive that you call an addiction to to making money and to hustling into, say, like a positive channel, like through exercise, through teaching people exercise, through 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 raising money legally, um, through helping people, through having this social advocacy mission uh, in prison reform and helping the formerly incarcerated. What do you think? Is does it still feel like an addiction or a compulsion? Um, not to get medical uh, about it, but do you feel like that that drive that you call addiction is still now present, but in a different way? Yeah, I, and so the addiction of money it definitely went away um, when I was in that prison cell. I think that was my aha moment where I was like, you know, it's not all about the money, and and people, you know, might see me as like a you know, successful, like fitness entrepreneur, but, uh, I'm not there yet. I'm not there where I was, uh, you know, making millions of dollars, um, you know, and doing whatever the hell I wanted back, like back in the day. Uh, and, and when I came home, uh, I really had to humble myself. You know, I, I lost everything. I, I lived in my mom's couch for about a year. Um, I, I was waking up at five in the morning doing uh, conducting classes at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning outdoors in the park across the street. Um, and I was not making any money. I was, you know, maybe bringing in a couple hundred bucks a month off of it. And, uh, and I was, I was doing that seven days a week. You know, I was like not stopping, you know, just trying to find to get people. And that took me about a year and a half of doing that consistently when I decided to take the, take the jump and start doing it, you know, full time on the side, I was actually, uh, cleaning apartments. Um, I was, uh, doing housekeeping work and then I was doing all the side jobs, moving. Um, I was doing anything to get any type of money on the side, uh, legally. Mm. Um, and so that, that, I think my, my, my addiction became, wake up and just get things done, you know, yeah. and get this done right. And that, and that became my addiction. And I think I had that addiction back in the day, but it was not about money and, and stepping on people to get whatever I wanted. Uh, like I, I, I had before. What are some of the challenges that a formerly incarcerated person tends to deal with as soon as they leave prison? Yeah, I, I think uh, when you're when you're inside prison, um, you know, you and you're about to be released and you you just have all this hope in the world that everything's going to be great. You're turning into you're turning in a, a new leaf, uh, but it, it's not it's not once you come home and you're hit with reality and you're being rejected for jobs, you are being rejected for different opportunities. I mean, I. I literally tried to get life insurance uh, the other a couple months ago, and 
I was rejected because of my, my criminal record and about, I've only sold drugs, um, which is, which is crazy. You know, um, there's just so many collateral consequences that we have to deal with, uh, as, as somebody that's committed a crime and it, it hurts, you know, when, um, when, when you just like go into apply for a job and you, you see that person looking at the application, looking at the section where it says, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And you've marked that yes. And they look up at you and you just know that you're just being judged with that, that body language and that look and that mm. you're never going to get that call back, you know, and uh, um, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Are there any major preconceived notions about formerly incarcerated people that are myths or generally untrue in your opinion? Um, so we started to talk yeah. about that, but tell me about some of those either myths or like untrue assumptions. Yeah, I think what, what we see in the media has always been that we're all like killers and predators and you have this preconceived notion that we're just like so bad that you if you're around us we're gonna hurt you you know so um and, and when you go into prison is actually not like that you know I mean, there there are those you know individuals that are part of gangs and and they're dealing with that um issue but i think the majority of people that go into prison they just want to do their time and get out you know and and that's what i've seen i've been in um probably eight different jails and prisons uh, across New York state. And, um, and everybody just wants to do it at a time. Nobody wants to, uh, you know, hurt anybody unless you, you doing something retaliating against that person or you, you know, there are gang politics, but what we see in the media as somebody like screaming outside of a cell and like, you know, trying to hurt you and all this other stuff, that's probably like 1% of what, is going down in the prison, you know. Mm. Listener Jessica asks, um, this is a question about coming out of prison. She asks, what can an ordinary member of society like herself do or possibly do to make the transition back into society better for a for formerly incarcerated person? Um, and then I'll add, is it just a matter of kind of edu like educating oneself and I don't even know, meeting people such as you who kind of break those myths and stereotypes or what advice would you give? I'm sure you've been asked this question before during different media opportunities and public events. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that people can help um, someone that's coming out and transitioning. Uh, a, a lot of the individuals coming out of the prisons are mandated by parole to join a nonprofit organizations to find jobs and all of that stuff. But I think the most simplest form of, of change and how you can help that individual is just to treat them like a human being, you know, don't, don't judge them for their past. Um, but if you really want to take a step forward and help them, you know, readapt back into society, I think there's different organizations that uh, I sit on the board of Fortune Society, uh, Thrive for Life. Um, you know, there's different, a lot of different organizations that, that help. Uh, I, I think one big one that really assisted me and, and having met uh, executives and different individuals um, who came and volunteered was Defy Ventures. Uh, Defy Ventures was huge for me. They, they uh, basically, you know, 
uh, help me readapt with my family who my, my own family judged me for the things I've done in the past. And, you know, they had all rights to do that because I've always had this repeated uh, behavior of coming home and doing the same thing and coming home and doing the same thing. Um, so it really broke down that, that stereotype between my family and them. And uh, the, the great thing about the five ventures is that they have in prison uh, uh, programs where people, executives, volunteers could go inside the prison system and really help somebody. So the five ventures is a program that helps people start their businesses. Mm. Uh, and they believe that illegal entrepreneurs could become legal entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. uh, their whole slogan is transform your hustle. So mm. they have these like business executives, uh, mentors come into the prison help people with their business plans, help people with their simple resumes if they just want to find a job. Um, and every really speak to somebody, um, you know, so it, it's, it's an awesome uh, program and I can't speak enough about it. That's great. We'll, we'll include links to those organizations in the show notes, including the links to Khan body and, and your book and everything. Um, so cause, you know, we're talking a lot about a lot of, uh, different heavy, challenging subjects, a lot of which you have a very personal connection with. And, and I'm wondering if you ever tire of telling your story. Obviously, telling one story can feel very cathartic, very good, very liberating. Uh, you've really claimed your story in that way through your actions. Um, do you ever feel tired of telling your story? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't get tired of it. Um, I don't know. It's, a, it's different. If I'm saying the same thing to the same person, then I do get tired of it. Right. But when I when I have a new audience, uh, you just get a, a whole different energy and you have a whole different interaction every single time uh, when I share my story of, of being in solitary, of starting this business, dealing with the struggles and, and working on the successes. Um, it's, I don't know, I don't get tired. I've gotten tired where I've literally had, a, I probably had to do like, six or seven speaking engagements in one day mm. um wow. and so like going from one place to the other and then speaking here speaking there speaking there speaking there you know and then you're like woof, you know it's just, it's um, <laughs> it's a lot and sometimes you get like questions but um no I, I haven't for the most part i haven't gotten uh tired of it uh, what would you say are some of like the highlight experiences that you've been getting into in the last couple of years in your advocacy uh, for like social and policy change? Uh, so I did, there was a one, you know, great moment where I got to speak to Governor Cuomo's um, team and, um, and we got one policy change where uh, formerly incarcerated people couldn't get business insurance. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was a collateral consequence that, they didn't even know about, um, but it was just an old bylaw. And so when I was operating Combody in the beginning, I was operating with no business insurance um, mm -hmm. for a while because some quotes, and if I would be able to get business insurance uh, because of my background, mm -hmm. my quote was being quoted at like 30,000 a month. Wow. Um, something that, you know, I was never going to be able to afford at that time. Um, and so it was, it was crazy. Uh, and, and that, and that got changed. You know, I, I got, it took a little while. It took about a year, but that got changed. And that was, uh, that was amazing to see that now formerly incarcerated people could get their own business insurance and, uh, and move forward through that path. 
Yeah. And, and then also like having my brother now. So my brother ran for city council for district one in Manhattan. Um, he lost by 1%. Uh, now he's oh, wow. running again. Um, and he's probably going to win because the incumbent can't run again. Um, but yeah, he's been, he, he shut down the, the project of building a, a new jail. They were, they were planning to do this $9 billion project. I don't know if you heard about it, but they were building four new jails in the New York city area uh, after they shut Rikers Island. Um, but we were talking about using those $9 billion and opening up schools and opening up more mental health centers instead of opening up more jails. Uh, and they were literally going to open up one in, in our neighborhood. Um, and he's he's a local politician um, right now. His name is Christopher Marte. Uh, but he uh, he sued the city, uh, which uh, held back the plans of opening up that, that jail downtown. Oh. That's amazing. That's a, that's a, another great accomplishment. And so, so your brother's, uh, your brother is a, is a politician and, and he's looking to, to get elected to office. Um, what's next for you, Kaz? Uh, you know, do you have any political ambitions yourself? Yeah, I'm not, I don't want to get into politics. Uh, <laughs> I, I, am uh, a 110% supporter of my brother. And so, um, helping him and his camp, a new campaign now, um, uh, he, he's a committee man now that's his, his political position of mm-hmm. downtown now uh but uh for a city council I'm, I'm down to support him and 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 speak if he needs me to speak or or advocate for him um but uh i'm really just focusing on combody and growing this online uh platform so having people work out virtually from all around the world. Uh, it's been, it's been amazing to see the support we've gotten people from Indonesia, Hong Kong, Australia to, to Russia, all over Europe, you know, join, um, our live stream workouts. So it's been, it's been pretty like humbling to see how much support is out there, um, to see us succeed. Kaz Marte is the founder of Conbody. Kaz, thank you so much for sharing your story for all the work that you do. Uh, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you, Dick. We originally recorded this interview in May 2020. Since then, Kaz has become a father for the second time. His brother Christopher won his election for city council in New York City's District 1, where he now serves as a city councilman in the neighborhood where Kaz, once upon a time, was doing his drug dealing in a very full circle experience. Kaz is also now founded ConBud, B-U-D, as he looks into legal cannabis distribution in the state of New York and bringing his social entrepreneurship and his efforts to reintegrate formerly incarcerated persons into society, into the mainstream. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The New Story Is. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. If you did enjoy it, please leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you don't know how to subscribe or follow, please ask someone who seems like they know how, because it can be a little bit challenging. I know. Until next time, my name is Dave Rosillo. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.